0: It has just been so wonderful uh, to have her here and also just to fellowship and worship with all of you. Um, So I just want to put in a plug, Lisa, my mother-in-law said when your book is finished, she wants one. Like, wants one. And there's four of us sister-in-laws or in-laws, so if you could do me a solid, I could, like, move up, so... All right. All right, let's welcome Lisa back. Uh, several people asked me what the book was about, so just a, a quick summary of it. Um, the book is, at this point, is called Stewarding Singleness, and so I just want to say everybody starts out single. Where are my teenagers at? Right, remember that? Uh huh. Everybody starts out single, many of us end up single. Many of you end up single at some point in your life. Some of us are single our whole lives. And so there's no, there's no debate that singleness is in the church. What does it look like for those of us who are single to actually use whatever time the Lord gives us in that state to honor him and to glorify him by stewarding different aspects of our lives? whether that's our relationships at church, relationships at work with family, whether it's uh, issues of our vocation, whether it's issues of uh, our witness or testimony. And so I'm just working through this, trying to, trying to um, bring together some of the people that have encouraged me, that have uh, really helped me to live a life that has been full of gospel opportunities of loving people and of discipling people and enjoying people along the way. And so, just super thankful for the opportunity to work on this. Please pray for me. It's not an easy process for me to sit at a chair, sit in a chair. Um, I would rather be up and chopping vegetables, frankly. Um, That just would be my preference um, rather than writing, but writing takes discipline. So please pray that the Lord would keep me focused to be able to write um, and to think well on these things as we go. So that's really, um, that's a major part of what I do every night when I come home from a day of work. Uh, So it's it's an opportunity to trust the Lord with that as I go. So I appreciate your hospitality to me this weekend. It's been fun to be with you. It's been neat to hear your stories uh, in between. And uh, several of you have come up and said, I'm single. This is how the Lord's challenged me, and I have really appreciated your testimonies. Thank you, too, uh, for those of you who have shared some of the heartbreaks that you're encountering. And so I pray that the Lord would use his word and his people to really touch and comfort your heart through through the sun. Uh, and so as we begin this next session, this is about hospitality and the gospel. What does it look like for biblical women to put Christ on display? Basically, I'm giving you two different ways that as women, we can do that. The first we talked about was resolving conflict and being peacemakers in our engagement with the world around us. And then this way is more of an outward pursuit of people through hospitality. Now, uh, let me just tell you, you you know me enough by now, after having listened to me for three hours, that I'm not much of a Pinterest person. Some of you, when you see hospitality, you think flowers, doilies, teacups, lace. My mother would think about cleaning the closets like, but mom, they aren't going to look in our closets. I love you, mom. Right? That's, that's some of the thinking that you have behind the word hospitality. But that isn't necessarily what we're talking about when we talk about, how, about hospitality. It isn't about all these lists of things that you have to do in your house before your guests come. We have a stunted view of what hospitality actually looks like. So we need a better definition for it. We also live in environments, I don't know about your home, um, but many of us live in environments where there are fences around our house. Or at least you've got a garage that you pull your car into and you walk from the garage into your house without actually breathing air outside. Some of you don't have dogs, so you're not taking them for a walk and meeting your neighbors. Maybe you live on a cul-de-sac, but you don't have children playing out in the yard, and so you're not actually meeting your neighbors. What does it look like in the environments in which we live to actually think about what hospitality is and what it looks like for us as believers, I would like to submit to you that hospitality is not about having people at your home. It's not about hosting people at your home, although that may be a slice of it, okay? So for those of you who have already said, I'm done, I don't need this because I'm never having people at my house or I can't have people at my house or nobody wants to be at my house. For those of you who have already checked out on that, that's not what we're talking about. Hospitality is the love of strangers actually the scriptures gives us this definition it's the love of strangers it's a it's a greek word that literally means you ready love of strangers <laughs> it's that it's also love of brothers and sisters right so we have to think of both those who are outsiders as well as those who are insiders when we're thinking about it. The Old Testament gives us many examples of situations of hospitality. And the law of God actually gives to the children of Israel examples of how they are to be hospitable, how they were to love outsiders. If you read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and Numbers, you begin to get a picture for how God expected his people to treat those who came into their land. There were injunctions to them such as, if you are in your house in the land and you're celebrating one of the festivals that I've commanded to you, and there's a stranger who's sojourning with you, a stranger, someone that you're supposed to love, here's how you include them in this festival. If you have a servant who lives in your home who is not of your people, here's how you engage with them. If there are poor people around you and you're a farmer and you're cutting the the wheat out of your field or the barley out of your field, leave the corners. Leave leave some of the things that people might need for their daily, daily life provide for them in ways that are going to be helpful. So the Old Testament has many illustrations of hospitality. The New Testament also gives us commands toward hospitality. And those of you with the acorn uh, little thing on your name tag, you um, I don't know what you had to do to get an acorn, but those of you with, with Alexander Strauch's book, uh, The Hospitality Commands, you can read further about this. Um, and Alex is going to talk to you about, in that book, about the commands that are given to us in scripture. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. Show hospitality. So it's both for those who are of the family of God as well as for those who, are, uh, who, those who would be strangers. Matthew 25, 20, uh, 31 to 45 says that the mark of a believer is how we feed or clothe or visit those who are strangers or who are in prison. Remember that? Jesus says that at one point, people will say, well, when did we see you, Jesus? Hungry or sick or in prison? And he says to them, as much as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So not only is he talking about caring for those who are strangers, but also those who are in need. And so I'm going to suggest to you that uh, that. An extended, um, an extended definition of hospitality is actually, it's a love of strangers and, it, and an anticipation of needs. We have in our office at Children's Hunger Fund uh, a value of hospitality. We've got the UPS guy who comes in. We've got the the mailman who comes in. We've got pastors who come and do a pickup of the boxes that you pack for them. We have uh, truckers who come in and bring food that we order so that we can put it together into those boxes. There's all kinds of people coming in and out of the office. And so we're always asking the question, how do we anticipate the needs of the people coming to us? Maybe... For an office situation, that's as simple as a Keurig that's available to everyone to have some substandard coffee before they leave. <laughs> or And that's okay. It's okay. Just looking for the caffeine delivery system, I understand, right? But also, we have a, a cooler where we've got water in there, and so everybody that comes in, can I get you some water? In California, anticipating that need is a real way of loving people, Right? can I help you stay hydrated? Because everyone running around California is like half dehydrated and so they're a little bit angry and grumpy. right? So can I help you be hydrated? I'm going to anticipate your needs. So we want to ask the question as we're thinking about what hospitality is, as the love of strangers, we have to start with the question of who are people that we are called to be hospitable to? Who are those strangers in our world? Well, I mentioned, first of all, that there are fellow believers, according to Hebrews 13. Also, we could say that widows and orphans are some of the folks that we should be extending hospitality to. James chapter 1, verse 27, says, pure and undefiled religion is this, that you visit the widows and orphans in their need, right? And so we have... Pure and undefiled religion. Maybe that looks like foster care for you. I'm not sure what the situation is here in Texas, but we have many families in our church who are participating in foster care. It is devastatingly hard. There's an aspect where caring for someone else's children because of brokenness is just hard. It's heartbreaking. And I've shed more tears with foster parents than I, than I think I have with, with parents over their biological kids. Some of them have expected to adopt, and two and a half years later, all of a sudden, the child's gone with, with hardly an opportunity to even say goodbye. And so foster care, while it's difficult, can also be very joyous can be a great opportunity to demonstrate what hospitality looks like as you love strangers. Uh, For some of you, it may have looked like adoption, right? Inviting a stranger into your home, giving them your name. And even that we recognize is difficult. I think sometimes we look at very tiny babies and we think, oh, isn't this a beautiful thing? Isn't adoption beautiful? We're, we're showing how much God loves us by showing what adoption is. That's true. Romans chapter 8, we could talk all day long, literally all day long, about Abba, Father. The Spirit has put in us an understanding that we have been adopted by God. And so as you offer hospitality to children in your home or you help families that have done this, you are giving a picture of the gospel. But in doing so, you're also giving a picture of the brokenness of man, right? The sinfulness of humans, because every adoption is a result of some form of brokenness. And as children grow up, and they come to terms with some of the, that brokenness and some of that difficulty, it's hard. And children sin against parents, And parents sin against children in adoption situations. And even in this, we demonstrate what God's love for us has been. He never sinned against us, right? And so there's this aspect of the Lord uh, allowing us to bring children into our homes or to care for others who have done so as a means of adoption, And so maybe you can't adopt a child, maybe you can't foster a child because of your situation in life, but you can help others who have. Uh, Right now, in my Sunday school class, there's a a young woman who has um, two children who've been in her home for several years, and uh, she has the opportunity to adopt them. They actually disappeared, I can't give you all the circumstances, but they disappeared for about 18 months. Uh, actually going on two years, and they have been returned to her home. And we're rejoicing in the fact that the Lord has brought them back through a very difficult situation, and she's going to have the opportunity to adopt them. That's not me. My lifestyle can't even support a kitten, let alone a child. And yet, I can make a meal and get it to her and the kids some nights. So. Oh, So, hospitality for me doesn't always look like it might for you, but I have opportunities to bring hospitality, to to bring that anticipation of needs and love of strangers to other people as we engage uh, with how the Lord is calling them to uh, bring people into their home. We're also called to be uh, hospitable to unbelievers. let me give you a couple verses for this that you can look up later. Uh, Luke five twenty nine talks about Matthew actually even inviting Jesus into his home. And the Pharisees come and they say to Jesus, they say to Jesus' disciples, why does your master eat with sinners? Right? Because Matthew obviously was a sinner as a tax collector. And Jesus reminds them that he was called to bring sinners to repentance. And so he accepted hospitality from unbelievers and reminded them that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And so proclaiming, uh, giving hospitality can proclaim the good news to others. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 5. And we're going to look at a verse here in acts 5 verse 42 this is the believers in the early church and every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ that the Christ is Jesus So there was evangelism taking place because of the hospitality that the early church had as they were going from house to house, probably knocking on doors of strangers, but also inviting strangers into their home. Luke 14, turn over there to Luke 14. Not only do we give hospitality to the people that we know and love, to widows and orphans, to unbelievers... But also to the poor and needy. Uh, Luke chapter fourteen, verse uh, verse fourteen. There's a uh, there's a banquet that is being that is being brought uh, put put together, and Jesus told this parable about a man who had invited uh, invited people. He also said to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just Jesus isn't saying don't invite these people ever to your home because other places we're told, yeah, go ahead and invite them. What he's saying is God's work among you is not something that you will ever be able to repay him. So this banquet is an opportunity to actually, this banquet of the poor and the blind is actually an opportunity to, to show the world how God has drawn us who cannot pay him anything, to himself. So sometimes I think we'll only invite the people that we think are going to give us a positive review in our invitation or in our care for them. And Jesus is saying, there's going to be some hard people that you should probably engage with as well. So the poor and needy. Also, Christian workers. Uh, We have a... um, we have a lot of um, evidence in the scripture that there were itinerant ministers in the early part of the church. I'm, I'm one on occasion, uh, about one month uh, a, a week uh, one weekend a month, where I'm out at someone's church and sometimes I stay with people in the church, sometimes I get put up in a hotel, and so I get to see how the church cares for Uh, cares for itinerants, Christian workers who come through. But Paul was doing that on a regular basis, right? And so he often would commend people who had housed the the church in their home or had uh, traveled with him or he would admonish a church, hey, I'm sending this person to you, take care of them when they come to you, as if you were taking care of me. And so we have opportunities to do that. Uh, to care for worthy uh, Christian workers along the way. Uh, Acts 16 is is the story of Lydia and Paul, right, the beginning of the church there in Philippi. And she was actually hosting people in her home, and Paul commends her for that. The last group here that the Scriptures talks about on a regular basis is the foreigner, the immigrant And the refugee. This one's a little harder for us. Here in America, America, (laughs) where we have certain understanding of who should be here and who should not be here. But even in the land of Israel that God had given to his people, there were expectations that they would care for those who were refugees. Abraham, in Genesis 18, if you look at the, the story there in 18, 1 to 22, these four angels who he didn't know were angels come come walking up toward his tent, and it says that Abraham ran to them. He ran to these strangers who were coming toward him, and they probably were a little weary and weather-beaten and dusty and But he ran to extend hospitality, and it's such a beautiful picture of what God's people are called to do to extend hospitality to the world. Leviticus 25 talks about how the children of Israel are to care for the strangers, for the refugees, for the immigrants who are in their midst. When we provide hospitality to these strangers, what we're doing is actually reflecting the character and the work of our God. Hospitality reflects the character and work of our God. Who is our God? He's a pursuant God. He came after us. How many of us wait for the strangers to come to us? Sunday mornings, my, my uh, friend Tim Challies wrote this great article a few years ago. It's called The First Four Minutes. I think he revised it, and it's the first three minutes. When you're at church and the service is over, what do you do in the first three minutes after the amen? Usually you turn and you talk to your friends, right? You've been waiting the whole sermon. Like, come on, Pastor Tom. <laughs> let's, let's go. I've got something I want to ask her, right? Um, Tim's proposal is that your friends will wait three minutes for you. I think that's why he changed it. He knew they wouldn't wait four, but they'll wait three. (laughs) They'll wait three minutes for you. But there may be somebody new sitting in front of you or behind you who isn't going to sit and wait for three minutes for somebody to talk to you. So I try to make it a practice when I'm at church. I turn around When when the service is over. I try to turn around and say, oh, hey, I haven't met you before. Have you been coming here long? I just make the assumption that they've been here longer than I have, because you know I've only been at my church about five years. Um, but you know I I don't want to put them in a position where they're like I've been here forever. What's what's wrong with you that you don't know me, right? I don't want to put them in that position. But I just assume you know I don't I don't know them and it's on me, right? So I'll say, hey, I, I don't think we've met before. Have you been you been around here for a while and. Just two weeks ago, I met a guy. He's like, that's my first time. It's my first time to church. I haven't been to church since I was an altar boy. Uh, You know, 30 years ago in a Catholic church. He said, I just got saved this week. And he told me his whole testimony. I wouldn't trade that three minutes for the world. Because that's what it's about. It's the hospitality of God reaching out to him. And as I reached out to him, I got to hear God's work in his life. So take those first three minutes or four minutes to meet somebody you don't know. Maybe it's a face you recognize and you should know their name. We have in our Sunday school class what we call Name Amnesty Sunday, (laughs) where every couple of months we'll make people put a name tag on. Sure, we've all been at the table, but who doesn't get embarrassed by forgetting someone's name? Right? And then it goes on long enough that you're embarrassed to ask. And so Name Amnesty Sunday allows you to actually correct the wrong names. Um, this guy that I met after church, uh, I think three weeks in a row I called him Matthew. And he finally said, my name's Thomas. <laughs> See, we hadn't had a Name Amnesty Sunday. So, you know, I was like, well, they are both disciples. That's a good spot to be, I guess. So pursuant. Our God is pursuant. And when we think about what it means to be a Christian woman who is putting Christ on display, we're thinking about loving strangers and acting like our God. He pursues us. Jesus said in Luke 19.10 that he came to seek and to save the ones who are lost. John 6.44, no one comes to the Father unless the Father Draws him to himself. That's a pursuant God. When we were talking yesterday about Adam and Eve in the garden, what's happening in the garden after the sin of, of Adam and Eve? They're hiding, right, in their in their leaves that they had sown together. And God comes to find them, and He calls to them, and He, "Where are you?" He knew right? But he pursued them. And when we pursue people who are unlikely for us to do so, we are, we are demonstrating the character of our God, who loves and pursues men and women, who reject him. Number three, Hospitality anticipates needs. Hospitality anticipates needs. (laughs) I'm missing two whole pages of my notes. (laughs) All right. What kind of needs do people have? What kind of needs do people have? Think about the different ages and stages of the people in your congregation. Uh, There was a church that I went to for a while, and on Sunday nights, we would have just the most incredible Sunday night service. It was usually smaller than Sunday morning, and it was an hour and a half Sunday night service. 30 minutes of learning, 30 minutes of worship, 30 minutes of prayer. Just that's what the rhythm was. And in the prayer time, people would stand up and they would give testimonies and they would ask for prayer for different things. And I just remember this one lady, Mrs. Hotchkiss. Mrs. Hotchkiss was like 152, (laughs) but she was ageless. She was 92. And she used to talk about helping her old ladies get to the doctor. She was still driving and some of them were not. And she would go and she would pick up this 75-year-old lady who, was, who had lost her eyesight. And she would talk about her old ladies. Mrs. Hotchkiss was using the time that she had and the gift that she had, still being able to drive, to anticipate the needs of someone in a, in a similar life stage to her. So we could think about single moms in the congregation. I've been working, uh, for the first time really in my life, close to a couple of single moms. And I have never realized the amount of effort that it takes for them just to get their kids to school in the morning and to get to work on time. And what happens when there's a flood day, right? Or when it rains in California, sometimes we just shut down the state. (laughs) So if there are clouds that kind of trickle in, the moms start going, How am I going to get my kid? Who's going to stay with my kid while I go to work? And so, what, is, what does that look like? Or if school has a different staggered schedule and they've got a meeting they've got to be to in the morning, what does that end up looking like? So, there are elderly people, there are, there are single moms that have difficulties, there are people who are having new babies. And I'm guessing you probably do this one really well. This seems to be the one that churches really, really like. They care a lot for moms that have maybe the first, second, and third baby. After that, you're on your own. (laughs) Y'all know what's going on, so just, you know, cool it. But, you know, we do these parties, right? I loathe shower games. I don't care if it's a bridal shower or a baby shower. Please, don't hand me a roll of toilet paper and make me dress somebody up with it. Yeah, I'm done. I'm done with those. I played them enough, right? But when people have new babies, they have unique needs. How do we as a church anticipate those needs? One of the things that we find is that as we care for the young moms, and in my Sunday school class particularly, the neighbors start to recognize that somebody's pulling up in front of their house every week or every day and pulling out bags of food and, and taking out the trash and walking the dog and do, doing whatever it is that a, that a young family might need. Um, and so we, we have very organized way of doing this, sign up genius and all of these different things, but we're anticipating the needs that a family having their first child or second child might actually have. And it becomes a witness to the neighborhood that somebody's caring for these people and for their new needs. Here's one for you. I said we do this really well with people that have babies. What about the young women in your congregation who are getting their first home. Maybe they've moved from their parents' home to another location for a job, maybe even to come here to a great church and so they're away from their parents' home. What about a shower that would help them start their first home? What might that look like to anticipate some of those needs that they might have? I can't tell you how many baby showers and bridal showers, I've been invited to over the years, working with college students. I actually had a line item in my budget, in my personal budget, to try to figure out how how to make up for all of that. But never was there ever an offer that, oh, you've moved into a new house, and we know that you have needs too, right? And so we have to start thinking, how can we care for one another within the body? That's not even outside of these doors, right? It's just within these doors. How do we care for each other? How do we anticipate the needs of people who are here? What does it look like when someone's lost their job or their husband has died? About a year ago, one of my friends who had been caring for her husband, um, he had Alzheimer's and very young, uh, very young diagnosis, probably around the age of 45. And she'd been caring for him for about 15 years before he passed away. The first time she came to church after he was gone. And she's sitting in her Sunday school class by herself without... Thinking who's caring for him or without him being with her was so very difficult. The the husbands who suddenly pass away, how do we anticipate the needs that they have? When when someone passes away, do we remember them on all those firsts? What does it look like for the first month after? What does it look like the first time they go back to church? What do those first holidays look like? when the spouse is gone, how do we anticipate some of those things? I have in my calendar um, the date, the memorial date of some of my friends if they've lost a child or a spouse or a parent and I know it's difficult for them. I just set it like I set my birthdays where it's in my calendar and I'm anticipating next week I'm going to drop a card to this person. I'm going to anticipate the need that they have that someone else remembers. Their, their son, their husband, their their wife. So we're anticipating needs that people might have, whether they be physical needs, whether they be needs of, of supply, um, where they need physical things or they need food or they need someone to care in, in very practical ways, but also we're anticipating, when people have spiritual needs. So recognizing that there are different times of the year that are difficult for different people. Uh, A couple years ago, Thanksgiving was coming up, and uh, someone at church came up to me and said, oh, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? And that particular year, I think it was actually 2020, usually I go to Alaska for Thanksgiving. I go stay with one of my families up there, and Spend five days with their eight kids and four dogs, and it's glorious. I sit, and children just transition, you know, every which way around me. Actually, I go to the kitchen and I chop things. But, um, so, you know, I, I usually get to do that, but because of 2020 and the uniqueness of that, I wasn't going. And so they said to me, Oh, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? And I said, Oh, well, normally I do this, but I, I can't go this year for a number of reasons. And their response was, oh, that's so sad. You must feel so lonely. And then they walked away. And I wanted to say, I could come to your house. (laughs) There are times that are more difficult. And I think sometimes close-knit families are great, but we need to recognize that this also is our family. So when there are those times where you're like, oh, it's all going to be about my people, that's when you should stop and say, who else can we bring in? I have families in my life that have done this very well. Uh, The first 18 years I lived in California, I didn't have laundry in my house. And, you know, that's something you handle for a couple of years, but... It gets a little old after a while, right? As a woman who's trying to be a professional and present professionally to be, you know, folding her underwear in the laundromat on a regular basis. And so, I had families that started asking me to come to their house on Friday night. And so, for eighteen years, there were there were about three families I would rotate. Eighteen years, I did my laundry at different families' homes. And some of them even gave me keys to their houses and said, hey, if we're not here, come on in. They probably would have preferred that, but I always wanted to go when there was a meal available. So (laughs) they were anticipating needs that I had that were those material things, but it was also a spiritual opportunity for them to disciple me. And so... If, if you're interested in some more of the details of that, I've done some writing on that in my blog and told some of those stories of what it was like for a family to hand me their key and to say, our home is literally your home. And so I would take my laundry over there. And so now instead of folding my underwear in public, I'm now doing it at my boss's house. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, it, there's all of those different ways that you can begin to anticipate the needs of the people who are around you both the family of God around us, but then also our neighbors. What would it look like if, when your neighbor has a baby, you put together a sign-up genius to bring them meals? Because you know what? Your unsaved neighbors, many of them are away from family and they have no one in their world who would ever care for them that way. But maybe your Sunday school class could make that happen a couple meals a week for a month, it would blow their minds that you would care for them in that way. I'll make a recommendation to you of a really great book. Rosaria Butterfield has written a book called The Gospel Comes with the House Key. The gospel comes with a house key, and she gives many illustrations of ways that you can both spiritually and physically care for people, not just the people within these walls, but also the people outside of these walls. As we navigate what it looks like for us to enter our garage, (laughs) right, and just go into our house and never even know our neighbor's names, and I'm guilty of this too at times. I know more of my neighbors' names because they have a parrot, and he screams their names often in the front yard. <laughs> he screams our dogs' names too, which is fun. Shadow, come here. But we care for each other. We need to be aware of these needs, anticipate these needs. And then finally, hospitality reveals our character. Not only do we display the character of God, but it reveals our character. Hospitality is described as being that which should be granted sincerely. Give, give hospitality with sincerity. Um, I mentioned before Abraham. Abraham ran with eagerness to be hospitable to strangers who were coming to him. First Peter 4.9 says, be hospitable without complaining. Sometimes when those showers come or, or when relatives call and say, can I come stay with you? <coughs> we may find ourselves grumbling about that, right? But what does it look like to be hospitable to one another without complaining? Because what you have from God is a stewardship. He has given you everything that you have And you are stewarding it so that he will be honored and he will be glorified. And so as we engage with one another, we can be hospitable without complaining. 1 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8 talks about how we endure everything for the sake of the gospel. And we do it cheerfully. We care for others cheerfully so that we will reap spiritual benefits of knowing that we have extended love as the Lord has extended love and we can care for people in those ways. We demonstrate when we're hospitable that we are loving God and we're loving people. Love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. And finally, hospitality, finally in this section, hospitality is required of elders. Hospitality is not actually something that the scripture says, hey women, this is your, this is your moment to shine. It is, because of how we live our lives and what, what our homes look like, and we're generally the ones who, who do the cooking, right, often, but scripture actually says in Titus 1, 7 to 8 and 1 Timothy 3 that hospitality is required of those who would be called elders. So the men are also called to participate in hospitality. Uh, I was just reminiscing over lunch about a pastor that Nikki and I had. His name was Steve Steve and Judy were just the most lovely of people. And Steve was the assimilation pastor. That's what they called him. The assimilation pastor at our church. And just a wonderful, wonderful man. Judy would make dinner on Sunday afternoons and they would they would invite some people. And she would go home thinking they were gonna have like four or five people come over and she'd have the table set and the meal all done and Steve would show up, and he's like, oh, I found these people, and these people, and these people, and the next thing you know, there's 17 people, and Judy's in the, like, I've, I saw her do this a couple of times. She's in the pantry, and she's going, I don't know what that man's thinking, <laughs> and she's pulling stuff down from the shelf, and we're adding to, uh, to the meal, and she loved it. She loved it, but that man could bring home so many people and forget to tell her. It's not just your responsibility. It's also the responsibility of our spiritual leaders to promote and to provide opportunities for hospitality, for caring for strangers, so that our God is glorified. Let me just give you a few tips for hospitality. This is where you know for sure I'm not about Pinterest, okay? (laughs) Paper bowls and plastic spoons. You can do so much. You invite people over. Paper bowls and plastic spoons. It's okay. People don't care that you have China on the table. They care that you cared enough to have you into their home. So I always keep a tub of vanilla uh, yogurt and I make my own granola, so it's pretty primo. I keep a bag of that hidden away and I can at a moment say to anyone, come over for dessert. And we can throw that vanilla yogurt in a paper bowl, throw a handful of granola on top of it, maple syrup maybe on top, or chocolate, and, and in a moment, I can be ready to host one tub feeds about eight people with this dessert. So as many people as I can crowd into my 100-square-foot living room right? Dessert's always easy. So this is another one of my tips, my hospitality tips here. Uh, Have people over. Dessert's always easy to do that. Uh, Another one of my pastors demonstrated for us that popcorn also works. It's cheap, so it really doesn't matter if you put a steak in front of somebody. That's not what they want. Again, they just want to be with you. They want to feel that you have loved them. So a bowl of freshly popped popcorn, you could even get microwave popcorn. It doesn't taste as good as the real stuff and is much more expensive, but you could do microwave popcorn and add a little bit of sugar on top of it after it comes out of the microwave and you all of a sudden have a gourmet snack with a glass of sparkling water and you're good to go for an opportunity with people. Don't think about hospitality as entertaining. That's where we've gotten off the rails. This is entertaining's really hard for those of you who are perfectionists, right? Because you have to clean your closets in order to entertain. <laughs> think of it as extending love to people in very simple ways, but in ways that just say, hey, I care about you and I want to get to know you. Be ready to ask questions. This is another tip. Some of you don't enjoy the gift of the gap. Uh, you, you know, tend to, to struggle a little bit more trying to figure out what am I going to say. There's lots of little books that you can, you can grab that'll have questions for parties in it. Or you could even sit and think about maybe 20 questions that are things you like to answer. Where's a favorite place that you like to go on vacation? If you could go to one place around the world, where would it be? What's your favorite book? What are you reading right now? So you can actually just sit and come up with these questions. Uh, We have a friend. um, I have have a friend who would put these on a popsicle stick. And at the end of dinner, and you could do it any time during dinner when there's that lull in conversation where everyone's going, who's going to speak next, right? You could pull one of those popsicle popsicle sticks out read the question and everybody's got to answer it. And all of a sudden you've got a conversation and you have an opportunity to engage with people. Let your guests help. I just had eight people over for dinner the other night and I work full time. I think I mentioned that. So they showed up about 45 minutes after I got home from work and I had done a lot of prep beforehand but we still had salad and things to put together before we could sit down and eat. And so we're in my little galley kitchen with about five ladies and knives and cutting boards putting a salad together. And we laughed and just enjoyed uh, enjoyed the time together as we were putting together this salad. Nobody cut themselves, so it all was fine in the end. (laughs) Here's another tip. No selling. This isn't as big of a deal as it used to be, but hospitality should never include selling candles, Leggings, oils, books, or Tupperware. Period. And stop cleaning. This is another one of my favorite tips. People don't care. Maybe, you know, wipe the toilet down a little bit. But people don't care if all the corners are quite clean. They care if you love them enough to pursue them. And to bring them in. What does it look like to have backdoor friends? I only have one door, so that, you know, it's a moot, moot question for me. But I actually do get to engage with people who have backdoors. And it's a beautiful thing when you can just go to the back door and, and walk right on in. That's them anticipating that I need to belong. And they've given that right to me to belong to their family, to just walk in and be a backdoor friend. I have learned that as I come around the corner of the house, I should probably whisper so that the teenage boys have more clothing on by the time I get to the door. So whistle, not whisper, but whistle. So I just do a little, <whistles> and they, you know, they'll, they'll go, oh, here comes Lisa. I, I hear him go, Lisa's coming. Lisa's coming. And so, you know, kids will scurry and put pants on. <laughs> you can't expect them to wear a shirt after all. So. Um, so backdoor friends. What does it look like to invite backdoor friends to your world? And then here's something that will be uh, a blessing to you. Have a guest book that is something you can use to take record of what uh, of what the Lord has done through the people that are coming to your home. I use one of those journaling Bibles that, that has the space on the side for you to write notes and things. I just hand that Bible to my guests and I ask them, either if it's a big party, I'll just put a date. Maybe there's a verse we've talked about or some concept from the scriptures we've talked about. And I'll put the date by that verse and then I'll just ask them to sign by the verse. At other times, I'll just say, hey, would you, would you just note a favorite verse that you have? And then they'll date it, and, uh, and I have record of who's been in my home over the years. And that's been such a sweet thing. When I transitioned jobs five years ago, I had been doing this for about 10 years at that point. And so I asked one of my student workers, while I still had student workers, uh, I asked one of them to go through and count all the names. Shannon's in there a number of times. Nikki, you're in there. And they counted, and I had no idea. But over 10 years, I'd had about 1,500 people through my home. Now, some of that's because my landlords are hospitable and I have a huge backyard. So I can feed hot dogs pretty cheaply to a lot of people. And so we'd play lawn games, play bocce, because I'm Italian, right? We play lawn games, we would sometimes we'd open the pool, sometimes there'd be s'mores around a fire pit, sometimes it's just a big pot of chili. Every once in a while I do breakout steaks. But for the most part, cheaper's better, easier's better, less time, less preparation. Cause it really, in the end, isn't about the food. And it isn't about the activities. It's about the love that's extended to people as you engage with them. And so we have opportunities to represent our God well by engaging people at this level. Now, again, some of you are looking at me and going, This is not me. I don't have a home. I'm fifteen years old. Or I live in a in a broom closet. Right? And I understand, I understand all of those things. This is not something that came naturally to me, I had to learn some of these things but here's one of the things I I did learn is five dollar footlongs and parks so maybe you live in a broom closet but there's a family at church you'd you'd like to get to know hey can I meet you at such and such a park I'll bring lunch so maybe you can't have them at your house your roommates don't believe in hospitality I understand that too But you can find ways that you can extend love to people. Young people, maybe there's a new kid at school that you can be hospitable with. And, you know, maybe they're not the cool kid and somebody's going to look at you and go, oh, I can't believe you're being nice to them. You can be nice to them because Jesus was nice to you. Right? That's hospitality. That's anticipating needs. Wherever you are, whatever your budget is, there's something for everyone to reach out because in doing so, we demonstrate what Christ has done for us. He gave his life and he offered to us to receive him and to take the security from God's wrath that he offers to us to become his children. And as we reach out to others, we are demonstrating the love that God has given to us. So ladies, be hospitable, like your God is hospitable to you. And you will not ever regret it. You might like two minutes before the people get there. (laughs) But after that, after you put those paper bowls out, Good to go. There's not even going to be dishes when you're done. So let me pray for us and thank the Lord for our time together. Father, you are gracious. And Lord, you have given such love to us, such hospitality to us by opening your home, by bringing us to it, by placing your spirit in our hearts, and allowing us to call you Father. Lord, as we recognize your love for us, may you cause that love, which has overflowed to us, to overflow to others as well. Father, we ask that you would cause us to welcome those who are unlovely, who are poor, who are strangers, who need you, the uncool ones, like us. Lord, would you help us to love them as you've loved us? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.